Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Luke chapter 13 tonight, we're going to be in Luke chapter 13. We have several other scriptures we're going to be using, but we will be projecting them as opposed to throwing them up. Amen. And we're going to, this is um, healing is ours, class number 19 or uh, teaching number 19. And we're going to talk about the woman who was bent double, the woman who was bent double. And we'll be reading Luke chapter uh, 10 verse, or 13 rather, verses 10 through 17 <clears throat> from uh, the New American Standard. And he was teaching, that would be Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. How many of you know that's not the Holy Spirit? Not caused by the spirit, but a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, doesn't each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years. And boy, when you're in a mess like that, each year is long. Should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said this, all his opponents, so apparently there was more than one, were being humiliated. And the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things done by him. We see a clash between God and sickness. We see a clash between God and religion in this, you know. Uh, you know, first thing I want you to notice is where was Jesus on the Sabbath? In the synagogue teaching. Okay. Remember that the synagogue, literally meaning the coming together place, all right, was a forerunner and model for the local church, local Christian church today. The local Christian church has its roots in the synagogue. You see, as the Jews spread out across, well, you know, all over Judea, as well as into the diaspora. They went to other countries, Greece and Parthians, Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamians and people from Cappadocia and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, Acts chapter two. There were often plenty of Jews in the area, but it was a long way to go and worship at the temple. So they built special purpose built buildings 
for them as the Jewish community to gather on the Sabbath day, which of course is a Saturday, on the Sabbath day and have a solemn assembly. Now, I know it was popular with the home church movement here recently. Well, I say recently, it's probably been 15 years, but I'm from Oklahoma. So when I say the other day, it could have been three decades ago. And when, you know, when they were saying, well, you know, the church didn't have special built, you know, buildings and they just met in homes and everything. That's very, very disingenuous. And it's intellectually dishonest because the church did exactly what the, because the church was at least at first very Jewish in character because Paul was going around to the synagogues preaching there first. And then when they uh, rejected many of the people in the synagogue rejected his message he would they would find another place and begin to minister and yes in many cases it started at a house but we know from history that it you know eventually special uh, church purpose-built churches arose and the Jews who wanted to continue hooked up and stay connected to their Jewish roots would go to synagogue on Saturday on Shabbat and then they would go to the Christian service on Sunday the first day of the week all right and that and if we have, you know, I've got on my shelf in there the writings of the church fathers. And I can take you to and have from this pulpit shared uh, the description of a church in of, of a church service in the late 300, early 400s. And it sounds so much like what we do today that the difference is negligible. All right. And so I'm here to tell you. Jesus still goes to church on Sunday. Amen. Amen. And men and women from the area would come into the synagogue. They would attend they, to worship. They would sing. They would have the reading of the prophets. If a visiting rabbi was there, was not there, the president of the, of the synagogue would, would minister something. If a traveling rabbi was there, that rabbi would be asked if he had anything to say. We see that in the, the book of Acts where they would say to Paul, who was an eminent scholar from Judea, a, a Gamaliel University graduate and uh, you know, member of the, he wasn't a member of the Sanhedrin as far as we know, but he was rise up and comer. And they would say, if you have anything to share, please share it because here you have this eminent scholar in your midst. And then he would get up and preach Jesus to them, which was quite the surprise. All right. In Matthew chapter four and verse 23, it says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their what? synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Jesus was a church goer. I love it when I hear people say, well, I don't have any use for organized religion. That just means you like your religion disorganized. Unorganized, chaotic, ineffective. All right. Pastor, how do you really feel? All right. And in the open areas, he would preach and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. You know, he didn't, you know, don't make the mistake of thinking that just because he was in first century Palestine, that all of the people living in Judea were observant Jews. They most certainly were not. 
All right. And synagogue attendance was not exceptionally high as a mean as a percentage of the population even then. Well, it says that he went about teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Notice in the synagogues, he would teach. To preach means to proclaim and to teach means to explain. Jesus explained the scriptures to the people. Amen. He explained the word. And the net result of teaching them was increased understanding and a growing faith. What he would do is he would bring the scriptures in in a way that no one had done before. He fit all the pieces together. He helped everyone to connect the dots and see how it works. Just remember, you know, it's like we talk about, you know, his word as food. Amen for that. But we have and we have the preaching ministry because that proclamation is necessary. But the teaching ministry is uh, is to help us to understand it. Said another way, it's not what you eat that helps you. It's what you can digest. And if you have no understanding of it, it really doesn't help you. And that is what teaching does. In fact, mafetes, the, the Greek word for disciple, literally means learner. Or we would say today, perhaps a student. All right. Teaching helps us to get a clue of what the word means. It affects the way we think. Which is why school environments today are increasingly crucial and why the enemy is doing everything he can to get in there. All right. Because it shapes the way people think. It shapes the way we uh, evaluate. It changes our pers perception of, of what's real, what is authentic, what is valuable and what isn't. And it helps us to evaluate. This changes. Teaching will change your believing. It will change. Uh, and you change your believing. You change your receiving. When they would say, never has a man spoken like this. Why? Because they were used to being beaten over the head with the law. And when he brought grace to the front, it was amazing. It was amazing grace. All right. Hallelujah. We are past the point today where everything depends on God. Because God has already provided salvation. He has already provided healing. Provision was made at the cross. I remember one, one of my professors at Oral Roberts University, who shall remain with the names have been changed to protect the guilty, even said, you know, we take 1 Peter 2, 24 out of context. It says that he himself, you know, we like sheep were going astray, but he is the, you know, by his stripes we were healed and that we were like sheep were going astray and, and all of that. That's not really about physical healing, you know. Uh, that's about, you know, the spiritual healing that we get when we come to him. And I, and I you know, you know me, I'm, I, I think, well, that's funny. I said, because Matthew 8, you know, 8, 17 specifically quotes that scripture after he had healed some people and says this was to fulfill the scripture that he himself bore our infirmities. And so if under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the evangelist Matthew says that is what it means. Who am I to say that Peter meant something else? Or you. Amen. 
That's one of the things I appreciated about school was we could have open and honest debate and not get canceled. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. That's why they, you know, that's why they call some of those classes seminars. All right. Well, once for all, the atonement has made it available. But every bit of it is appropriated by faith. How many of you follow me? We're going to get to the woman in a minute. All right. Every bit of it is appropriated by faith. I, as I am taught, my awareness of it grows. I used to believe that God long ago, and I don't even know where I came up with this. I think it's demonic because you run into so many people that their church doesn't even teach that, but they still believe it, that God uses sickness to discipline people. Yet it says... Jesus went about, Acts 10, 38, Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by whom? The devil. Even here, he said, whom Satan has bound for 18 long. He is, that's a tip of the hat to how much suffering this woman had been, an embarrassment this woman had endured. I also believe that somehow poverty was holiness. I'll never forget when I first started hearing somebody teach that God wanted, wanted to heal us and had provided healing. I'm like, well, can that be right? And that he actually didn't, that poverty wasn't holiness, that in a very real sense it was ignorance. And that I didn't have to be poverty stricken. Now, don't misunderstand me. Poverty is not sin. And being prosperous is not the number one, you know, priority that any Christian should have. Or number two or number three, but it's in there. Because if you can't be, if you're not blessed, you can't be a blessing. All right. And so it, it's, you know, all of this has been provided. And faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing and hearing. I am, if I want to receive from God, I've got to be full of the word, not full of dramas or politics or sports statistics. I'm not saying that any of those, that, that you can't have any knowledge of any of those other things. But what I'm saying is the main thing has to be the main thing. The truth then becomes part of me. It isn't I am not reformed. I am transformed. Okay. Got to be careful using that word today because it's getting, yeah. you know, they're getting a little loose with it. But it's that transformation from glory to glory and faith to faith. Mark 11 and 23 uh, says this. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. Doesn't say anything about the head. Does not doubt in his heart. But believes. That what he says is going to happen. It shall be granted him. I like the King James better. He'll have whatsoever he saith. Alright. Like Abraham of old. You and I. Grow strong in faith. Giving glory to God. 
It is, I mean, it comes to the place in your life that you have seen so much, been through so much, and you hear from God, you have spent so much time in his presence that it doesn't matter how long it takes. It is a foregone conclusion. The mountain has to go. Amen. So what do we believe? Well, why is this important? Because chronic problems often Become What does the word chronic mean? It comes from the word chronos, which means time. And it means it's a problem that is of long duration. When we refer to somebody as having chronic pain, that means they're in pain a lot. They're in pain over a significant period of time. If we're referring to pain being particularly strong, we would use the word acute. All right. And so this woman had been suffering. She had been and she had been bent double for 18 years, but she was in church. She was in church. She was still coming to church. She had not given up. And she would not let. You've got to know that walking down the street and coming into the synagogue and all that bent over had to be embarrassing. It had to be humiliating. Now, I know in the ancient world, there was a whole lot more suffering and there was a whole lot more deformity and there was a whole lot more of that kind of stuff going on than what we see today. I understand that. But th the fact is, she wasn't hiding out in embarrassment for the way she looked. And another thing was that clearly, you know, now, again, we don't have any, you know, this was a this was Jesus you know, you know, Jesus walking in a, in a gift of the spirit. But when he called her over, she had to get up and go to him. She had to respond. You know, it's so easy when you're having a problem that's of longstanding, three, five, seven, 10, 15, 20 years, that we come to the place where it, 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 we just begin to own it. And we must not do that. Hey, everybody hear me? We must not. You hear people say, well, my diabetes, you know, or my asthma or my arthritis or my cancer. Don't own it. Amen. Don't own it. You know, is you must say, well, but pastor, you know, we're, we don't really me is when I say, well, my asthma, you know, or my hay fever or whatever it is. You know, is that subtle? The answer to that question is very, uh, is absolutely, yes, it's subtle. But is it problematic? The answer to that problem is also yes. We've got to let the words of our mouth conform to what God says and what we desire. We don't want to, it, you know, the thing of it is, when we say, well, it's my, you know, it caused my asthma to flare up. Does that reveal, does it betray the way I'm thinking about it. You know, you know, that's where teaching comes into play. Somebody teaches us, you know, don't own that. Don't own that. Start resisting it. Start standing against it. That's the first step. Number one, you got to believe that God wants to heal you. Number two, you got to line up with him. Amen. Amen. When you, you know, uh, Lester Summerall, some of you remember him, used to always end all, well, I say always, a lot of his broadcasts, he would say, when you feed your faith, you starve your doubts. How many of you remember that? When you feed your faith, you starve your doubts. And believe me, the enemy works 
through people, through circumstances, through feelings, to pound that unbelief into you as hard as he can. That's why we have to feed and feed and feed and speak and speak and speak that word to counteract what the enemy is trying to do. We have to immerse our, I mean, when you're in a faith fight, you need to immerse yourself in the word, not in CSI or NCIS or the Big Bang Theory or, you know, that's not even on anymore, but whatever. Because those things won't help you. I'm not saying entertainment is, you know, the bane of the church today, although it is for some people. And we often will, you know, people say, well, he was healed uh, uh, gradually. Well, you know, or is it possible that his faith grew to the point that he could receive the full manifestation? Amen. You know, the, uh, I stand before you as a, um, as a veteran of, of surgery. I stand, you know, I, the best I can figure it's because of all the jumps out of perfectly good airplanes. I stand before you with two titanium hips. They're on different sides. Okay. I don't have, you know, I have a titanium hip on each side. And, you know, I was believing God for healing in both cases. I know people who got healed. I've had miracles in my body. I didn't get one then. But I'm not going to say it wasn't God's will to heal me. I'm going to be honest enough to say I came up short in my ability, for whatever reason, for my ability to receive. Now, a, most of you were around when I had those surgeries. One was six years ago and the other one three this very month. And, you know, my, my recovery was nothing short of miraculous. I mean, you know, I'm, I have the surgery on Monday and then I'm in church Wednesday night. Never missed any church on the first one. On the second one, they did it on Wednesday. I didn't go to church that night. But I, did, I was back in on Sunday. I didn't preach, but I was here. Amen. And the fact is that God met me where I was. And so, you know, I'm not, you know, and when somebody says, well, you know, you know, don't tell somebody that, you know, that that they, you know, God will heal them because if it doesn't work right away, they're going to get discouraged and they'll they'll, you know, they'll condemn themselves and everything. Well, you know what? We don't condemn people and that. What do we do? We put our arm around them and say, we're not going to turn loose of this. We're going to believe with you until you get a breakthrough. Amen. Now. You know, this spirit of infirmity this was this a spirit of infirmity was causing this. Demonic spirits can and do make people sick. I'm guessing that this was probably an arthritic condition or perhaps scoliosis. Who knows? It would seem by the language that she had not always been this way. In verse 16, Jesus said it very explicitly that this woman had been bound this isn't freedom. This isn't blessing. What is she learning? No spiritual, you know, nothing, you know, you know, can God bless somebody in the midst of sickness? Sure he can. But, you know, we see so many people who grow 
as a result of some sickness they've had or some trial they've had, like, you know, in their body or anything. And they and they and they and we see spiritual growth and we say and, and people will say, see that God did that to help you to to grow. That's like the story of the, the little boy who went running around on a Saturday with his daddy and, and, you know, and they were going to various stores, you know, and doing stuff like this. And two or three times they came across accident scenes and there were ambulances out with paramedics and everything. And the kid says to his daddy, daddy, why? Are, I got a question. He said, what is it, son? He said, why do those guys in that ambulance go around causing those wrecks? <laughs> They're there to help. They're there to minister. They're there to, to save. They're there to, to, to minister comfort. They're there to minister, start the, the process of ministering healing. They didn't go cause the wreck. God doesn't cause the wreck. Amen. All right. And, you know, Jesus said that he had been bound, she had been bound rather, by Satan. Now, it wouldn't be Lucifer himself. It would have been one of his minions. Nevertheless, it would, that tells us he's calling by the dominion of darkness was what was binding her. And the word that bound literally means, well, it means tied up, but quite literally, it means chained. She was chained. It is the thief, John 10 and 10, who comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. This woman was not possessed. She was afflicted. Notice, Jesus doesn't even speak to the spirit. You foul spirit of infirmity, I commit. No, he, he didn't do that. He just said, woman, you are loosed from your affliction. And immediately she stood up. That wicked spirit. When he touched her, that spirit went running off into the distance. And she stood straight up. There were no, there were no fireworks. There was no elaborate prayer prayed for, you know, or anything like that. No production. Even though they're in front of what apparently was a large crowd. And, you know, they just went. It, or it just went. We see that over in Acts, Acts chapter 19. It says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Paul was casting out spirits and healing people without even being there. Because it says by the hands of Paul. So the Holy, I know it was the Holy Spirit that was doing it, yet Paul was his instrument, his imager in this. And, you know, he, Jesus declares her loosed, then touches her, and she's instantly free and stands up straight. But the enemy did find a voice. The synagogue president, you know, and, you know, Indignant, It says he was indignant. That's verse 14. But the synagogue official indignant because Jesus is healed on the Sabbath. Now, I want to go down and look at verse 17 here again. As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated. So there were more detractors in the synagogue than 
the synagogue official. Notice that the president of the synagogue did not speak to Jesus. He spoke to the people. He rebuked the people. He didn't rebuke the Lord. What was going on here? I think he was doing what he was doing because there were Pharisees present. And he had to take a stand in order to not become come under condemnation from them for failure to call this out. And, you know, the, the, the leader of the synagogue may have been a Pharisee. He may not. But these people, you know, the Pharisees followed Jesus around. We see that, you know. And this leader was very, very religious, but he was not spiritual. How many of you know there is a difference? Because like most religious people, now let me under, let me let me clarify here. A religious religion, you know, people say, well, Christianity is a religion. In the popular sense of the term, that would be true. But the word religion really means the rigorous application of a code of believing or conduct, a way of life. All right. And yes, that would be true for a devout Christian that he is or she is religious about the way they approach something. But you can be religious without being spiritual. There are people of many religions that are very devout. They are very committed. They are very discipled in it and they are very disciplined in it. But it is not spiritual because it is not based upon the living word of God. How many of you follow me here? And uh, being uh, committed and being steadfast and being observant is wonderful. It's a great attitude. But the problem is, if you're being steadfast and committed, it's just like saying, I am a steadfast, committed, thoroughly uh, faithful to the bone uh, communist. How many of you think that that would be a good thing? You know, and that and, and that can make where we have people like that who, you know, who are very immoral today and they're committed to that immorality. They're committed to that lawlessness and they're making a religion of it. Like global warming. But moving along. Religion is ultimately self-centered. If I believe that I can pray this prayer and do this. Okay, if I pray and fast two days, I can get anything from God I want because I've prayed in faith and fasted. That's religion. That isn't faith. That's pushing buttons and pulling levers. That's a formula. It's almost witchcraft, to be honest. All right. Uh, and... What, what are we called to do? We are called to be led by the Spirit. Why did Jesus call that woman up? Not because she had a need. How many other needs were there in the synagogue? The man at the pool of Bethesda. How many people there were sick? All of them. It says there was a multitude of people who were lame and who were sick and all that. And how many people do, do we have a record of Jesus healing? One. One. How many times did he walk past 
the beggar at the beautiful gate and never healed the man. And some people say, well, I don't understand. You know, why didn't he do that? Because the Holy Spirit didn't lead him to do so. But later, Peter comes by and says, silver and gold have I never. It says, I have I give I thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Walk! Grabs him by the right hand, yanks him up. And the next thing we see is this fellow walking and leaping and praising God. Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody besides me ever sing that song? You know, in church growing up? All right. And so the fact is that, you know, there were other people in the synagogue. And the thing of it is, what? Now think about this. Jesus just says, you, now everybody in the synagogue most likely knows this woman. That's Phyllis. We all know Phyllis. Poor old Phyllis. You know, several of the men of the church go over and mow Phyllis's lawn because Phyllis can't do it. You know, sometimes, you know, when things, you know, when there are things around her house that need doing, they'll go and help. I don't know if she was a widow. It doesn't say she was. But, you know, they help her out because, you know, Phyllis, Phyllis is bent double. She can't do that. And so now, right there in front of the entire crowd, whammo! Phyllis gets a miracle from God. God is moving. And before anybody else in the synagogue can say, hey, pray for me. This joker is up there rebuking them for even having such a thought. Where do you get all this stuff, Pastor? I, well, anyway. That's the devil. That's why I said the devil didn't speak wasn't able to speak through Phyllis. She wasn't possessed. But he did have a pretty good control over the leader of the synagogue. I don't think he was possessed necessarily either. But Jesus said, you hypocrites. Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. In his teaching, Jesus was saying, beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues. They were there. And places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearances sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater damnation. And make no doubt about it, that is exactly what that word means. You know what just happened in that synagogue? God was out of their little religious box and they couldn't handle it. Jesus replied to them with so strongly word. He said, you hypocrites. And he was just saying, you guys are a bunch of puffed up, phony baloney, plastic banana blowhards. You know, we, at one point he says, you cross, you know, land and sea to make one proselyte. And once he... You make one, he becomes twice as much a, a son of hell as yourselves. How I many of you know that those are, those are them fighting words? You know? And he is dressing them down right in front of everybody. He wants, you know, again, he's under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do this. Remember, he said, I don't say things I don't hear my father say. I don't do things I don't see my father see. So the father... The Holy Spirit, the Father, by the Holy Spirit upon Jesus, is rebuking those hypocrites because they had blocked the people in the synagogue 
from seeking any further blessing from God. And he, I, I, he said, when he says, uh, here in the New American Standard, verse 15, 1985 version, it says, But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey? The word in Greek is loose. Do you not loose your ox or his donkey? It's a play on words there. Shouldn't this woman be, you loose them? Shouldn't this woman be loosed? Some of you loosed them this morning to make sure they were, they were watered. And you may loose them this afternoon. And yet you, you have more compassion on those animals than you have on this, this sister. Who, you know, daughter of Abraham, though she is, has been bound by this spirit for 18 years. You guys are perverse and you are cruel. You are hypocrites because you care more about animals than you do about God's own people. This is the Jesus that made a scourge of cords and went into the temple and kicked rears and took names. They do say that in Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, I mean, twice. Twice he did that. All right. And, you know, Jesus wasn't this little, you know, the, those of us who are old enough to remember Wally Cox. There was an actor by the name of Wally Cox. Some of you watching by web, look him up, do, you know, Wikipedia. He was a little scrawny guy. He was funny. But that's the way they see Jesus, just this little milky toast. You know, no. Jesus was quite. I mean, he, when it says that when the disciples were keeping the little children from him, it says he became indignant. That's the same word used here of the synagogue official in verse 14. He raised his voice to his disciples. Stop that! What are you doing? Do not hinder them from coming to me. I remember a man of God one time telling the story about how, you know, he had failed at something the Lord had shown him. He said, this is what I told you to do. And he said, Lord, I did it. And the second time he went through the whole thing again, told him exactly that. I told you do this, 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 and this. And he said, Lord, I did it. And the third time, yeah, I did that, Lord, but it didn't come out. And the third time he said, I told you. And he said, this, 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 and this, and it'll come out. And he said, Lord, I did it. And he didn't come out. And he said, Jesus looked at him and said, I said he would. He raised his voice. He said, it looked to me like fire shot about that far out of his eyes when he said that. And he went, I think I see what I did wrong. <laughs> and it was about, well, it was about a guy who, need, who couldn't bend over. His back was frozen with, with arthritis. And he prayed for him and then said, see if you can. It was a spirit. He said, see if you can touch your toes. Because that's what he couldn't do. He couldn't bend over. He said, see if you can touch your toes. After being um, chastised by Jesus, he went, I see it. He prayed for him again. He said, bend over and touch your toes. No if. Just do it. And the guy did it. Everybody say amen. Am I, is this, you know, you know. Jesus saw her, this woman, as part of the congregation. He saw her. She's there. Called her over to himself and declared her free. No prior knowledge. We don't see it. Maybe he did say, sister, how long have you been like this? 
But it doesn't say he did that. If, if he did, it wouldn't have mattered it, it, it would, it, at all, you know. And he laid his hands on her, and then his word was man, manifested. Now, let's go back and read that again. I want you to see it. Uh, verse uh, Luke ten, uh, 13, verse 13, and uh, wait a minute, back up to verse 12. Mm. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. Everybody say free. Hallelujah. I love that. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. He spoke the word over her and then delivered the anointing. Everybody say amen. amen. You know, he and when he laid his hands on her, his declaration was made manifest. God has always worked that way. Say to this mountain, say to this sycamore tree, be thou removed and cast into the sea. Yes, I can speak King James English. Be thou removed and cast into the sea and believes in his heart and does not doubt in his mouth, in his, in his heart, says with his mouth, believes in his heart and he shall have whatsoever he says. Now, why does it not say that in the New American Standard? He'll have whatever he says, because the American Standard comes from the critical text, whereas the King James Version comes from the Western text. And the Western text does say, have whatsoever he says. Well, which one is right? Both. Both. Amen. Now, what does she do the very first thing when she got free? She began glorifying God. Hallelujah. No doubt thanking Jesus profusely if our uh, musicians would come. You know, emotionally and energetic. What if she started screaming? Could she be forgiven for her lack of decorum? On the, in the solemn assembly. What if... She started screaming, jumping up and down, crying, sobbing, falling on Jesus. You know, that would have been improper. First of all, it's amazing. He called her out and touched her to begin with, a rabbi touching a woman. And then, and she, I'm sure he wasn't saying, quit it, quit it, just like, you know, that's the way the Pharisees would feel. But Jesus probably just took her in his arm and said, boy, sis, isn't this great? Let's just, and he'd jump up and down with her. Well, amen. Where better to encounter the power of God than a worship service? Amen. Yes, there are lots of wonderful stories out there. Movies have been made about people who had some sort of a physical handicap or a problem or anything and worked very hard to overcome them and lived relatively normal lives even though they still had that 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 challenge that handicap that you know whatever but you know and and I and I salute those people it's those that's awesome that they work that hard but how much better would it be to receive healing and use all that energy 
to produce even greater fruit and greater glory for the kingdom of God. I'm not besmirching that other thing any way from just going back to my hips. I did not receive God's best. I received God's good, right? People say, well, does it hurt? You know, you know how, does the, how do they work and everything, you know? And, and, and I, well, the only way I know I had surgery is I don't hurt. And believe me, I can tell you without fear of successful contradiction, I'm all about not hurting. You know, you know, it, it just, it was, it is, and it is wonderful. Anybody who has lived with pain knows what a joyous deliverance it is. And I'm here to tell everybody here, everybody watching by the web, your body is important to God. It is His temple, if you are a Christian. It is His temple. And I'll tell you something else. For those of you who may not be Christians, or you know people who are sick who are not Christians, I draw your attention to the fact that Jesus, in His earthly ministry, never healed a single Christian. He healed mostly Jews, and there were a few Gentiles thrown in to kind of punctuate things. So in other words... God loves all of us and that healing power is available. But trust me, the best way to come into that is to know the Lord Jesus as your Lord, your Savior and your shepherd. Because the good shepherd has come that we might have life and have abundance. Amen. If you don't know Jesus, this is the time. Don't put it off. We're heading into dark. We are sailing in to crazier and crazier days. We're in that acceleration that the Lord showed us here at ICC back in the second half of 2019, third quarter of 2019. The Lord spoke to us that things were going to be accelerating rapidly. Six months later, everybody, the government came and pulled a Chinese Communist Party and locked everybody here in Missouri, and particularly in, in uh, Jackson County, Missouri, locked us down. Took away all of our civil rights, just really did a number. And if you, you know, people say, you know, well, you know, they had, let me tell you something, what you're watching is you're watching the gates of hell expanding its power. The days ahead, you and I need to be believing God. Do I believe that God is going to move on this earth and it's going to be awesome and it will in many ways mitigate some of the darkness that we have seen loosed upon our nation? Yes. But it's going to be a rough ride. Make no mistake. Because some things are already baked into the cake. Do not wait another day to receive Jesus as your Savior. He wants not just to save you and cause you to be born again and bring you into the kingdom of his love. He wants to heal your body. He wants to help you. You need to get under teaching where you can learn how to connect the dots. You need to get in a good synagogue. You need to get in a good church and be part of that congregation and join together with him. And I'm talking to you, Christian. I realize some people are in a situation where they can't, but most people can and to make the decision that you're not going to be a rebel, you're not going to be a straggler, 
You're not going to get picked off by an Amalekite. You are going to stay with the body and you're going to join that phalanx and let the shield of those on your right and your left and behind you in front of you also protect you as well. What an awesome thing God has designed for his people. We're a family. We're a family. Amen. Let's all stand. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily.org, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.